So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast coming at you. We've got Archie, Toby and Leo joining you as always. And Leo, you're back this week. But you, you, What are you doing? You're down at the snow, I hear. I'm at Threadbow. I'm probably at not so much at the snow as I am in the rain and the wind and slush. It's a bit disappointing. It's late season, so can't be expecting too much. Hoping for a bit of snow overnight. Fingers crossed. And that's where Toby lives the majority of his life in a bit of the wet and rain and hoping for snow but never getting any anyway. Um, boys, we, we only had three games on the weekend. We lost one. As as COVID numbers rise, we're starting to lose some uh, rugby games, which is a bit of a disappointment. But we still still have plenty of, to talk about with the end of Super Rugby Aotearoa and uh, Round 7 in the books uh, for Super Rugby AU this weekend. Yeah, heaps to talk about. Real shame that we lost what... What well, didn't end up being a decider, I suppose, not not like it, it had an impact on the end of the New Zealand competition there, but the, the Blues hosting the Crusaders, I think we're all looking forward to that one as a as a real sign-off to the end of that competition and a chance for the Blues to try and shake up the Crusaders in a match that didn't really mean anything except for really their own pride and, and just put a real, real exclamation point on the end of their season. Disappointing, but I know we've got some other... North South to look forward to in coming weeks, so we'll we'll get our matchups. Yeah, I was particularly disappointed. Me and a uh, big group of mates had tickets to that one. Um, I'm pretty sure it was uh, absolutely sold out. Um, so it would have been a great atmosphere, even if the Crusaders were um, maybe not bringing their t- top tier team because, well, they'd been out trying to break the Aotearoa, um trophy. I hear, um, but we did have a. Another game down in Forsyth Bar in front of no fans. Um, the Highlanders, Hurricanes. And me and Toby, we, t- we talked about this last week. Hey, it's a trap game for the Canes. And, I mean, it hurts not having TJ Perinara for you. Um, but the Highlanders came out, matched them w- with the first half, and then broke away 38-21, to winning this one. Um, the Highlanders end the season on a high. And it must have been a good thing that I wasn't in the pod last week to be swayed by any arguments because I, I did a very uh, from-the-hip bit of tipping, not really looking at team lists too much and just thinking, Highlanders at home, end of the season. There's definitely an upset chance here. I think I'm, I'm the only one that tipped that one, ain't I? Yeah, I changed my pick. I, I, I was like Highlanders by four or five points. I mean, they smashed them in the end, but yeah, I didn't really have the faith that the Canes would finish strong. Just more guys, I think, contending for the All Black spots there in the Canes, but it wasn't to be. Highlanders at home always show they're so strong. And, like, you talk about competing for All Black spots, and we'll, we will talk about the North and South games and the squads that have been announced a bit later, but you look at some of the stats in um, Super Rugby Arturo in terms of things like turnovers, and the Highlanders are just sort of at the top of the list in terms of people like Dylan Hunt. Um, topping the turnover count and Highlanders and Chiefs with Boshier as well there. A lot of these teams that maybe 
haven't got the results in the end, but some of the individuals have been putting up amazing stats. I think it's good. There's particularly a few guys for like the Chiefs that I've been impressed with that still been standing out, even though they haven't been getting the wins. Lachlan Boshier, um, I saw him had been named maybe a like a you know a journalist fifteen for the North Island team at six there. Mm. So hopefully he gets some reward um, going towards All Blacks time. I think he's really a player that that could be used there at six. Probably not necessarily your traditional really big unit at six, but just a really skillful guy across the board. Probably more similar to a to a guy like Liam Wright that we're seeing emerge in the Australian competition. So guys like that, it's really good that the All Black selectors are still recognizing talent throughout the teams. You'll definitely see Highlanders feature, even even with what was a pretty poor season for them and the Chiefs. Um, good to get the upset at the end. Guys like Aaron Smith are just eternal uh, for that side. And, you know, the Shannon Frizzells of the world, like, again, strong running and strong, like, mentally strong to just be dragging your team through the 80 minutes at times. Um, not so much this week with, with a, a good hit out, but in other weeks when they're a bit down and out, guys like that just keep going. And that's, that's the sort of mental strength which you need across your 15 when it comes to internationals because if you get the team gives you a bit of a shake early on, then you, you can't afford to have a few guys soften up and, and drop their heads. You've got, got all those guys who are so driven and just want want to make a, a big impact but are also settled enough that they're not going to you know burst out of the line and, and create a, a hole for the, for the offense to exploit. Yeah, there was some suggestion, I think, that Frizzell might try and slot into eight at some stage if, if um, you know, they're not happy with Satutu or, or some of the other guys that potentially could play there. And also Dylan Hunt um, could be favoured, I think, over Karifi. So there's there's a few surprise selections maybe coming for the All Blacks. And we know, obviously, with the changing coach, there's going to be some differing opinions to what Steve Hansen used to think on players. So even Mitch Hunt was getting a mention there as a potential option for either 10 or 15, maybe in the wider squad. So some interesting um, selections coming, for sure. Do you guys have a standout player that you'd like to mention from Super Rugby Aotearoa now that we're at the end of the season? It's almost too many, isn't there? It's been been a great competition, you have to admit. Yeah. Yeah. It's been an excitement every game. Like There really hasn't been a game which has just been a... You know, a, a heavy hit out with with no real action. Like that, all the teams have played expansive attacking rugby. Uh, there's been very few, um, you know, ping, aerial ping pong sequences in these matches. Lots of fullbacks and sort of outside backs just looking to run back it through a broken play. Um, look, it's not a particularly interesting pick, but Richie Moanga, the number of stat areas which he tops or or comes you know second or third in. Um, in a in a I suppose a part of the cycle where the All Blacks have come off not getting a World Cup win, and, and Bowden Barrett's a bit kind of is he is he playing fullback or is he playing ten? Like Richie Moyes is head and shoulders the best ten, and bringing more to that ten role than other tens even in their best form. Like he's just such a diverse player. Um, he's just elite. Like truly standout in that competition which was a standout match after standout match so like I said not a particularly interesting pick but I think he's proven that he is easily the All Blacks 10 I don't think it's any contest 
Well, interestingly, they picked, I think Bowden's the only pure 10 they picked in the North Island squad. So he's going to line up there. They're saying that, but they did pick Mitch Mitch Hunter's in that squad as well, who's, I mean, he's been playing 15, but you could easily say that he's he's a 10. I think they, they're looking at Mitch Hunt more as they look at Damian McKenzie with that flexibility. And um, I heard the coach saying, basically, look, you know, Bowden started his career with the All Blacks as more of a utility, played across the back line, then had some really good time at 10. Last year, they went for really trying to combine those talents with Moonga at 10 and Bowden at 15. Um, didn't really mention that they, you know, thought that that experiment didn't work. So maybe it will continue. Though I just think they're trying to get the best out of both those 10s by putting them head-to-head, really pushing them to another level. Not sure there is another level to go to, really, with Moonga. He's, he's playing probably as well as he can right now. I'd be selecting him there at 10. And, you know, if Bowden has to be on the bench, he has to be on the bench. I think that's, you know, maybe he'll play his way back to form. Maybe he'll steal that jersey back. But at the moment, I think it's Richie's... Another guy who's been an absolute standout, I think, and Arch, I'm sure you've seen plenty of him, is Dalton Papali. Um, he's uh, there's been a fair bit of um, storyline in in the competition. They've had him featured in a few sort of pre-game uh, montages. Uh, he's getting around in like an old Rolls or something. He's got a, a funky set of wheels. Um, but like his story from being like. Uh, in the in the school's competition and just a, a dominant figure there, and then having to come into a blues squad and you know not not a strong blues squad initially, but you know he's been developing with them and he's been part of their rise back to a, a, a powerhouse in the New Zealand comp. Um, I think he's a very interesting player. He's obviously very young, very skillful, strong, like just you know physically gifted. He's a guy that will feature in the All Blacks, and I think he's stood out in all the in all the Blues games. He's been um, pretty impactful there at the ruck and and just aggressive in defence, really physical, and you know bending bending the, the attacking guys back over their over their line. He definitely came into Super Rugby early on. He was quite raw, and I I actually didn't rate him the first couple of years he was around. But it, since he was selected for the the All Blacks in one of their games, he's really I think started to see that. This is going to lead to an international career if he can keep his play at a high level. And whether you play him at six or seven, he spends a fair bit of time for the Blues at six. So, you know, do they see him as that? I, I think he's more of a pure seven, but there's more of a logjam maybe there at seven for the All Blacks. So maybe they're looking for some flexibility from him. Toby, did you have a player you wanted to highlight as a bit of a standout or an up-and-comer that you think's going to feature for the rest of the year? I, like, I think I've been happy with what I've seen from Geordie. And I think there was some stats flying around during the week with, uh, um, you know, him versus Bowden and, and how they line up. And Geordie yeah. was, you know, on stats, was, was outperforming Bowden by fair margin. I think he's just bringing a lot more consistency. He's, he's cut out some of those errors that we'd see in his game whilst he's playing for the Canes. Um so it's whether can he grab that number 15 jersey for the All Blacks is a fair bit of competition there. Another guy I think, Will Jordan, you have to mention him. Most of the guys in that, that Crusaders back line, almost hard to go past. And then some of the Blues forwards, I think you'll see a lot more of them. Some of their locks, I think Chupalotto has been really good. Hoskins, Satotu, um, even Akira Yuani, Like There's a lot of quality in that Blues pack. And I think that's really set them apart again this year. 
That's right. Um, Patrick Tuipulotu captaining the North Island with Sam Whitelock captaining the South Island. So the two sort of veteran locks there um, bringing, bringing up both those teams in what will be a great, great spectacle in a couple of weeks, um, depending on what's going on, whether it will be in Auckland or in Wellington. Let's move across to round seven of Super Rugby Australia. And um, we started on Friday night, the Western Force... Technically home game for them up the Gold Coast, Seabus Super Stadium, hosting the Waratahs. And the Waratahs continue this momentum. The Force get in early with a cheeky little try to Bynard's um, standard down the side after a grubber from Kahui. But after that, it was all Waratahs. Um, couple of tries from Newsom, Maddox, Harry Johnson-Holmes right at the end there. Plus a couple of tries that got disallowed by... Maybe some questionable um, refing, maybe some questionable TMO decisions there, but... Still ends up with the Waratahs winning twenty-eight to eight in this one. Yeah, the Force. I guess they've they've been a long time away from home. They're moving around a fair bit. Uh, it's good to see them still trying things like the injection of Kahui and um, Kyle Godwin there in the centres. I think's been a real a blessing for them. It's taken a bit of pressure off Jono, though he's still probably forced his hand a little bit in this game trying to catch up. It's those sort of little moves where old man like Jono not really. Yeah, old man, Jono. Thanks, Kernsey. Um, the like to see to see Richard Kahui just drop a little left foot grubber in. Obviously, the bounce came up perfect for Stander, and he able to fall over the line. That's that's the sort of game that the Force, I think, uh, can bring. Just like they'll they'll be trying everything. More of those sort of maybe low low percentage but high high reward plays, um, and you know they, they they put in a good shift in this in this game. Um, the Waratahs have just hit a hot streak now. They've, they've strung up two or three games together where they've been playing quite well. Uh, things are starting to go forward with the forward pack. That's giving a lot more room for Will Harrison to expand his play. He's looked a lot more dynamic and trying a few different things um, from 10 there. And I think Newsom has just proven that he's definitely a winger. Like I, I don't like seeing him at the centres. I think he's a stopgap in the centres. The way he um, you know, dives across the line and Get, keeps the ball in play like that's it's NRL type stuff in the corner there and, and he's good at that I don't think we see that from him in the centres I don't think he carries it well in the centres um, he always puts in but but it's not his position and so the 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 group they've got there now with Fiketti back um, Carmichael Hunt looking looking a little bit better as well like things are warming I think it all comes from the forwards uh, getting getting a better shift in uh, more more forward momentum, more space for the backs. And obviously, the last couple of weeks with Jake Gordon involved has just uh, created that precision and speed of delivery from the base of the ruck. That's made such a difference to this team. Yeah, and you wouldn't have thought it looking at this forward pack. I mean, on paper, Tatera Faulkner, Staniforth, Simmons... Um, you know, I think the Black Rose quality, it's been good to see Tom, Tom Robertson come back, and I think Horton's really stepped up well. Um, he's like pretty Horton. dynamic around the field. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it's really being driven. I mean, they're getting ascendancy in the forwards, which helps, but I think Jake Gordon and Will Harrison, really quality there in the halves. Still maybe not completely happy with how the centres are looking, but um, I think our back three, again, is making up for that. And James Ram, again, impressive in this one. He's looking more and more like he could make a break for that Wallabies squad. Um, and Maddox, I think, he just can do some things that other other guys can't do in the backs. 
Um, that's the second time he's burst onto one of those inside balls through the middle. Um, you know, scored both times, one called back, but you could see him with more quality players around him for the Wallabies and some great minds drawing up plays. He could be really, really, I think, dangerous for the Wallabies. So I think Rennie would have had his eye on him um, more and more this season. I think he's he had a bit of a lapse there in two games throughout the middle of the season, but he seems like he's coming coming good again and he's got some confidence back. Um, you just see when he backs himself, he's, he's a, as an electric back as anyone we've got in Super Rugby Australia. Um, because Tom Banks isn't quite, I think, to his top level at the moment, um, we've seen Tom Banks do those, those little bursts through the middle as well when Joey Powell puts him through gaps in a similar vein. But Jack Maddox, I think, whether he's on the wing or at 15, I think he's got that pace and he's got that try-scoring ability that the Wallabies could really use. He's definitely a confidence player, though, and it, it worries me that um, if he doesn't come out of this Super Rugby AU season, um, you know, mentally feeling pretty good, pretty pretty um, solid, and and that transitions into a good start for whatever matches the Wallabies play. Um, I don't know if he uh, is the sort of guy that rallies when times are tough, if he's one of the senior-type guys in the backs. Not that he necessarily would be in the Wallabies, but, um, yeah, just I think he's a little bit less dogged than perhaps Banks um, in in, that's in a similar situation. Like, I feel like Banks would really fight to get back into it. I've seen a bit of a head-down um, sort of figure from, from Maddox at times. And that's just a mental thing. It's It's nothing that's... Uh, he's stuck with it's just a it's an outlook thing and you know partially it'll be the guys around him like again in the wallabies fit fit out he won't be the most senior guy i have people um you know revving him up getting him getting him feeling optimistic again if they are uh off to a slow start and, and he makes a few mistakes someone needs to sort of get him get him under their wing and, and say lift your head mate you know there's, there's still plenty of time left that's that's the sort of thing i i think it'll need to ensure they've got that support for him were he to be the Wallabies 15. It's a pretty important position. You're standing out the back a lot, a lot of time with your own thoughts. Uh, you really want to be mentally pretty strong. And you'll see them head-to-head this coming week. We'll talk about it later, but I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup as well. And how much of a difference, like I already chimed in, but Tom Horton versus like your Robbie Abel or like some of these older veteran hookers who, yeah, they get the job done, but they don't add anything in attack really. They're just another ball carrier. You see Tom Horton out ranging wide. He really is striking me more as a as a Dane Coles type, um, sort of agile, fairly quick hooker who's uh, you know yeah. able to throw a good pass, making sort of good timely decisions. Uh, it's really good to see the Waratahs having someone like that. They need someone dynamic in the forwards because there's a pretty vanilla bunch when they're off form. I think he adds a lot in that respect. Yeah, and like that, the lineout's been strong for the Tars throughout this Super Rugby restart. That's been actually one of their their strongest points within set piece. And um, yeah, I mean, again, if you look at that tie five, you'd, you'd think they're really going to struggle in most games, but somehow they're they're pulling it all together at the moment. Just to clear up, I did say old man Jono before, but we have checked the data. He is actually the same age as Jock, and he's. Younger than Tamua, isn't that right, boys? For so, like six months, like I know, I know he so looks Kernsey, a bit weathered, but that's yeah. experience right there. Yeah, this is why we need a new rights deal with Optus or something. You bring in a whole new commentary team and get rid of Phil Kearns because 
he's just making endless comments that are just redundant and inaccurate and it's just it's getting on everyone's nerves it's not just a select group of people complaining like it's come down to everyone now complaining about the same person um as you said rennie was there watching this game and he was there on saturday night for the other game uh the reds hosting the rebels up at suncorp and it was an absolutely monstrous defensive effort in the end from the reds uh the rebels started off and they were pushing the line and the whole second half the rebels were just on the rebel on the reds line it seemed like i think the possession was about 88% to 12% in the second half to the reds absolutely monstrous from them but they come away with it a million different um, balls being held up by Tate McDermott, it felt like, in that game. But great defensive effort, and the Reds finished that with three tries to zero for the Rebels, 19-3. to And this was one of those games which, like, you can really enjoy from both sides. Um, like, I obviously have a, have a soft spot for the Reds, but really, watching this as a Waratahs fan, it's a good game of rugby. Both teams played really well. So that while the Reds, you know, put in an absolutely blistering defensive effort holding up the ball regularly guys like Tate McDermott holding up the ball on guys like Nisarani I think like complete mismatches in size and and they kept them out time after time after time after time but the Rebels were really dynamic too like they had they had a couple of times where they dropped the ball you know they got a bit unlucky there was a mall there where they sort of fell over the line and and Nisarani put the ball down on one of his teammates heels or saying it got knocked out so a little bit unlucky in that respect. They, they'd done the hard work, but just a really good game all around. And I think you're right, Arch, like the second half stats are just completely crazy. The the Reds at one point had had four runs to to the Rebels' 100 runs, and they had one try and the Rebels had no tries. Like, it was just insane how long the Reds had to defend for, and they kept them out, no tries in the match. Something to be super proud of. Um, and like just again individual efforts like Harry Wilson dominating people in tackles like and and consecutive phases you know lay a guy out hop up slide out a couple off the pillar and then just lay out the next guy Uh, Hamish Stewart sort of shone out a bit to me in the defense as well like a guy who we don't think adds a lot to attack every single game like he's a solid ball runner doesn't tend to break the line puts in the odd kick can be a little bit um, touch touch and go, a little bit up and down, but defensively was absolutely on point in this game, was putting in huge hits, sealing off the, the Rebels from their expansive backline moves. Um, just a really entertaining game. I actually watched this like two days delayed. I kept my head in the sand, so I didn't know the result, and I just loved the entire 80 minutes. It was great. And Tate come back in, and look what they do. I mean, this was a... Obviously, a bounce-back game from the Reds after being embarrassed. Um, but we've seen the quality that Tate can bring now, both in defence and attack, and he really drives this back line. So don't think there'll be any any more time for Scott Malua to be starting. I think Tate has locked that down again. Um, and, yeah, hopefully he can um, put in some more performances for Dave Rennie to see. He does strike a really good combination with James O'Connor, um, and, and that just gives a bit of bit of extra momentum and confidence to the the backs in the rest of the the line like Dalgunu was huge in this game putting on hits left right and center uh Jock Campbell from within their in goal 
grubbed it across the field to Patea to as as a pass to to try and get them to break out of their own twenty two. Mm. Patea put a little shimmy and and goose step Marika and then went down the field like that. That that's just I mean it's insane, right? It's the sort of thing that Quade Cooper might pull off, and you you're still kind of sitting there sweating, going, I can't believe you just did that. Is that is a fundamental one on one rule? You do not do that. Like kick across your own in goal sort of thing. Um, but it, but it's working. They're playing with confidence. The forward pack is super dynamic. The the back row particularly, like they've got that balance now with Fraser McWright is just a pest and in everything. He's your prototypical seven. He's not that big, but he's just hassling every ruck. He's he's getting uh he's actually I think he got a rough trot in this one. The refereeing was a little bit up and down in in spots, and he definitely earned a couple of penalties that he didn't get paid. Um, and that's the sort of thing which I think you really need in every side, like particularly when you have these times where the Rebels were all over them and it was phase after phase after phase after phase. The Reds' discipline at times wasn't perfect. They probably were lucky not to get carded with the number of penalties they got. Um, they got a warning and, and they managed to stick it out. And the thing that broke the Rebels' back eventually was Fraser McRide eventually gets his hands in and there and, and pinches a ball and it just stops the momentum. If you don't have that set of skills in your team you just can't like if the teams um if your opposition are um meticulous enough to just roll that ball phase after phase you just don't get a chance at it but Fraser McRight and Liam Wright just in there stealing the ball and just just stopping it for the Reds it's such a lift for that side in that situation did you think the Rebels they lost to Mua recently early in this game um got a knock to the head um, got a bit of a cut, was um, having a little bit of red dripping down the back of his head, and, and they were a bit worried about a neck injury, which he has subsequently been cleared of, which is great to hear. But I did feel like the Rebels lost a bit of attacking direction when he left the field. They they were holding on to the ball. They were going through multiple phases, but they didn't seem to be having the same sort of direction in their attack where they would actually be looking to push to one part of the field. They were sort of going left and right just whoever sort of needed it. And I didn't think that Lamani and Deegan quite orchestrated that as well as Tamoa. And I know we've been down on Tamoa, so I wanted I wanted to give a little bit of praise because I think he, he does help that attack move forward. I think he's got really good value in terms of, yeah, like tactically driving a team forward and, and positionally on the field, like making smart decisions. And now the fact, you know, with him out of there in that period of time... You had Lamani, Deegan, Meeks, and Campbell Magne. Like, it's not a very tried and true combination there of, yeah. of blokes playing together. So you can see why they probably lost a bit of direction and a bit of, um, yeah, just a bit of positivity maybe in terms of their leader in the back line was, was out. And I just, yeah, I don't think Meeks is probably as good when he comes off the bench. I think he's more of a starter. He needs that kind of game time in there he's less of an impact player um look i'm still skeptical on whether the the deegan and taman uh Tumua combination would be a long-term option there's been a few people talking up deegan and saying you know he's he's really skillful and experienced and he's played at conic i think over in in ireland yep um so he's he does have a lot of experience in that position and Maybe he's not one to stand out and he's not a flashy player, so he's got less probably recognition um, from the wider public. But I think the people that play with him probably know that he's a guy that you can trust there at 10. Um, 
And I think, look, we, we want to see more of Tamura at 12. If he's going to be picked anywhere um, going forward, I think it should be at 12. Um, so from that perspective, it's a good thing. But, yeah, this Rebels team, I'm still not quite sold on them. There's individual players there that are impressing. I think Trevor Hosea is another one who's looking more and more like he could make a run um, towards high runners at the lock position because we're pretty thin there and he's a young guy. He's got the size. He's got a lot of the skills of some of those Kiwi locks that roam around the field. And, you know, Nicerani's always quality and... There's a few other guys of, of note, but well, Matt yeah, Phillips the Rebels sort of, up and down a bit. The people are putting a bit of praise back on Matt Phillips. I mean, this game, immense workload. Okay. He had 20 carries for 74 metres um, in this. So putting in the hard yards and really getting in there. Um, do you think, he, would you put Trevor Hosea ahead of him in the pecking order right now? Yeah, because he's leaving. I think that's a... That's, that's, yeah. That would come into my decision. I, I think he's made a really poor choice to leave at this time. I know that he's probably financially better off by leaving, but this was not the year to leave. If you look at the, the lack of depth at lock, he was one of the more experienced guys there. You know, even now that Simmons leaving as well, like it opens up more opportunities. And so I think you look towards youth and you, you build with guys like Angus Blythe, Salakai Loto, Hosea, um, you know, Darcy Swain, guys like that. I think it's going to be a longer-term project. Um, but having Matt Phillip leave the country for two or three years or whatever it is, um, I can't really see him coming back in time for the next World Cup and making an impression. So I think it's probably he's missed the boat on that one, unfortunately. I think I'd probably, in, in a vacuum where you don't have... Matt Phillip leaving. If you've just got all the locks in the Australian competition, I think Matt Phillip deserved was deserving of, of a pick. But I can see why potentially they would choose not to invest in him, given that he is leaving. Because you've got a four-year cycle, fresh start, fresh coach. Why would you seek to build the first, you know, few levels of your foundation for your side on a guy who you know? As a, as a you know life expectancy because he's moving overseas. So um, I, I think Jose has been playing very well. I think he's been building week to week, being more and more noticeable, more and more um, impactful for for the Rebels. Um, maybe his fortunes have, have risen with the team as a whole. But again, a guy who, who has the raw ability, um, determination, he, he's defensively strong. I haven't seen him dropping off tackles. I've seen him making solid connections and Seems to seems to be doing his job in the scrum. Like, think you know, pick some pick some good building blocks with some potential and and work with those guys that you know you can. Uh, if you may not know that you're going to have them for four years because anything can happen, but at least you know if you if they've got no existing plans to leave, then just the the opportunity and the the carrot of the the representative honours might be the the difference maker between them going overseas and sticking around. I think if Rennie plays it safe, he would pick him in, say, the top three locks for this upcoming Bledisloe or whatever we see going forward for this year. But, yeah, then he'll disappear. So, yeah, I think Matt the Phillip, smart pick is... is yeah. yeah. Matt Phillip well, I'm moving on pretty quickly. Angus Blythe, as a guy who was on the bench for the Reds, like unless Lucan was um, at six and even then Harry Hawkins was getting a lot of starts. Like when we talk about guys stepping up, given the opportunity, Angus Blythe is that guy. Like yeah, he was exactly. a big solid guy. He was a bench player. 
you see him out there, he's having the best time. He's laughing at all all the antics and, and push around that's going on. Like, he's always got a smile on his face, but he's a worker and he's, you know, it's, the lineouts the lineouts for the Reds haven't been particularly consistent. I think it's been more the throwing um, than the lifting, but, uh, like, just... You know that's a guy who's earned his spot. Like you've got to you've got to reward that. That's that shows that there's a pathway for people who put in and stick around. Yeah, and I think Angus Blythe particularly, like he's always been physically ready. I think, and even maybe more so than Harry Hawkins. But Hawkins maybe technically was a little more sound, um, maybe a little better around the field. But you can see, like, someone take their opportunity pretty quickly, and Brad Thorne has put a lot of faith in him, um, and he's repaid that. And so you can Brad see Thorne's pretty next quickly. project after Rodder left. And we're going to have a whole bunch of 20, 22-year-olds, you know, propping up the Wallabies. And imagine what we're going to look like in five years. And a lot of that comes down to investment in youth. Um, you know, we're seeing it in the Waratahs now. Reds have done it for two or three years under Brad Thorne. Um, Brumbies have done it at times, injecting certain players. But I think... Because of that, we're in we're in a lot better place. Maybe it was necessity. Maybe we had to do that, just given the player exodus. But um, yeah, particularly in the forwards, I'm I'm really impressed with what I'm seeing from the Reds, and I hope they can just keep playing to that level because we see the potential there, and we just want to see them dominate and and really compete hard with with a Brumbies team that's a bit more experienced. And now I know Leo wanted to bring up some of the other stats that we saw um, that we we already mentioned in the New Zealand comp, the turnover sort of numbers. And we have the same um, stats for the Australian comp and highlight some of the players that are there or maybe aren't there. Um, just because we start off, I, I want to make this pun, boys, the, the Wright brothers uh, take us off from the start, flying high, uh, Liam Wright with 15 turnovers and Fraser McWright with 10 that's in your number one and number two position. Um, and then we have a couple, a couple of Waratahs after that. But, Leo, it's not who you'd expect to see in um, the top five sort of turnover positions, would you? Well, I don't know if it's... I'd say it's not who I expect. I think Ned Hannigan's in there, isn't he? Has Ned Hannigan got the number Ned, of turnovers? Ned Hannigan is number three. He's tied with Fraser, yeah. Fraser McWright at ten. I'm doing this from memory now. And then um, is there... Oh no, there's there's no more reds. There's a might be a stander or a um, no. There's no, another Waratah at four, and then a rebel at five. So a Waratah back rower. Come on, you can get this. A Waratah back rower. That's right. It's Dempsey. It's not Hooper. Yeah. Dempsey there at eight, and then um, one of these young guys from the rebels who's a lock that. Oh. Um, it's Jose. We, it? We're just talking about Trevor Hosea. Trevor but, Jose. Yeah. I mean, Which, it's... again, like you want, like it's great to have that in a lock, right? That's that's a bonus. That's a that's a you've got everything you need and some. If if that's uh, what we think about Trevor Jose, Dempsey, good. I expect back rowers to all have a bit of a a role in that, and and he is an active pilferer. He's never really been our seven, but it's good to have that in your six or your eight as well. Um, the thing that stands out to me is Michael Hooper is not in this group, and it just emphasises the point which I've made to death. Um, more like the, any listeners will know, I've made this point to death. Feel sorry for Toby and Archie because I make it more frequently to them as well. Um, Hooper, if he's not doing the job of of the typical number seven now in in the Waratahs side, do we really expect that he's suddenly going to switch it on for the Wallabies? I would say, given 
evidence that we already have, he he will not just suddenly turn into a pilferer for that side. I don't think we have room in the Wallaby side for a for a Hooper who doesn't pilfer. You look but at the value is... of Liam Wright to his team. Imagine having that at seven, and you can still have your, your two big six and eight ball runners. You can still have your nice Arani or your Harry Wilson or your Rob Valentini or your you know Dempsey, whoever it is. Like it's just so much better as a combination. You get that aspect back in your team. If we pick Hooper, I feel like we're basically resigned to relying on the odd hooker or lock or other back rower to do it occasionally, but not really having a threat um, in our in our starting side. And I just think that's such a mistake. I, I'm not disagreeing with your point of, around the advantages of having the skills of Liam Wright in the Wallaby starting back row. But Michael Hooper has never been one of the top fetchers in Australian Super Rugby teams. Like, even when Liam Gill's around, he'd be, you know, pilfering twice as many balls as, as Hooper in a season. Um, even guys like Will Miller probably would outplay him on a game-by-game basis. But that's not Hooper's primary game. It never has been. I think he's doing it less and less later in his career. I think early on he used to do that more early easily. On, but I think the rules have changed. The rules have changed to make it more difficult to get pilfers. The ruck is refereed a lot more stringently, and I think that's worked against Hooper. And I think he's probably changed his game even more to go away from that strategy. Whether that's, you know, he's a hybrid. He's he's almost doesn't really fit in anywhere into a back row. He's too short for a six. He doesn't have the carries now of a number eight. He's too small for that position. He's not pilfering like a seven normally does. And that's why people joke that he could play inside center, you know? So the argument is, what do we want at Wallaby seven? Because if we want a prototypical seven, you'd go with more someone like Liam Wright or someone like Pete Samu, someone like that. If you want what we've been having for the last, what, eight years, nine, uh, seven or eight years, you stick with Hooper. But... I think the argument is that should we have a change at this moment? This is a big decision because the captaincy is linked to that inherently. Yeah, I, I don't think Rennie's going to be tied to the captaincy for the Wallabies with Hooper. And I think you look at the last six, seven, eight, nine years, whatever it is, it hasn't been in a particularly successful period. And I think Hooper is a handicap to us that we shouldn't have to put up with. I think it's interesting to experiment. You know, maybe you start the season, you pick a new captain. I mean, Liam Wright could be captain. I think he's probably a little too young for the Wallabies captaincy, but I wouldn't put it completely past him either. Um, maybe it's time to put Hooper on the bench for a stint. Is there, You were arguing before maybe you play both of them. Maybe you play Liam Wright at six and Hooper at seven. I'm probably against that. I think there are better sixes out there, pure sixes. Um but you're right, you make the argument, Jack Dempsey, Rob Valentini, Izzy Nicerani, Harry Wilson, and then you surround them. You know, you have Liam Wright surrounded by those players. That's pretty attractive, and it's a new look for the Wallabies. He's got the height of a six, Liam Wright, but he probably isn't a traditional six at international level. So I think that's going to be a battle definitely at the seven position. It's good to have these arguments because... For a long time, we were like, got Phil Wall, George Smith, do we play them both? Do we select Pocock? Like, 
you know, there's always been this debate at seven, who's the best option there. And I think it's the fiercest debate almost you can have in a forward pack. Um, and it's so dramatically different with Hooper because of the player he is. Um, we got to think, do we make a move now and make a change? He's locked in, up in Australian rugby for the next two or three years on, what is it, a million a year or something? Yep, too much. So it's it's almost very difficult to leave him out of the 23 when you're paying him that much. So do you, yeah, do but... you use a bench spot for him if you're going to make that change? Does that stuff up your bench then? If, if you look at it that way, that's just the fallacy of sunk costs. Like at some point you have to decide that what, you know, what is working or is not working, you know, and what are you going to change? To me, when you say, you know, is it time to experiment? I think Hooper has almost been the experiment without realizing it. Like we've gone away from a typical back row outlay and I don't think it's helped us. And I think we need to change it. I think we need to go back to the more typical. And I reckon if they see it, they will want to stick with it because I think it'll be really effective. And unfortunately, that probably does relegate Hooper to be an expensive bench spot at best. It's just the way, like, it's just the way it is. I, it's all, it's all well and good in hindsight. I think putting Hooper on that much money for that length of time was, you know, seeking some stability at a period where the Wallabies weren't particularly strong. We're trying to show that, you know, the, the really. Um, the fan favourites, to a degree, are sticking around. Like, look, we're getting people on long-term contracts. It's probably a mistake because Hooper isn't necessarily the right mould to work around. He he forces your hand in certain directions rather than you can start with a blank slate, especially in the back row where you are. Like you said, you're picking. It's difficult to pick because you're trying to find a balance. You're forcing your hand very, very strictly down one one direction because Hooper offers certain things in spades. And other things, not at all. I just have my doubts if Pocock couldn't force him out of seven. What hope does Liam Wright have? You know? And maybe that's that was both. just Checker. Maybe that was just Checker not wanting to make that change and force Pocock to play number eight. But Rennie, Rennie really will come in with a, you know, a bunch of fresh ideas, which I think yeah. is important. I think it's going to be crucial. Um, and may, he's probably not going to care about salaries. He's just going to be like... No, I like Liam Wright better. Hooper might be in the 23, might not be. It will be interesting because we know there's already going to be a huge amount of change and whether there will be sort of that wanting to have someone with a bit more international experience still in team when you are putting such a fresh team together, um, which may be the majority of the rest of the forward pack, probably excluding the front row, that is also going to be fairly experienced. Um, but... As I said, can't can't wait to actually see what we actually get when um, we get a Wallaby squad this year. But we do still have a couple of rounds left of Super Rugby AU. Um, going down to two games a weekend now, it's a little bit disappointing, but that's all right. One on Friday, and that's a Western Force hosting the Reds. Technically a home game for the Force, so they're still up there on the Gold Coast, so just a short drive down for the Queensland Reds. And... Do the Force have anything to sort of gain here? I mean, they're, they're in a really tough position at this stage. They're starting to feel, I think, the weariness of um, being on the road for a long period of time. They've had some niggling injuries. They've lost a couple of their starting players. They, they are not a team that has a huge amount of depth. Um, what are they looking to bring out of this game? I'd love to go hot take and be like, track game for the Reds. Um, but I really don't think the force have it in them. Um, the they've just looked a little bit 
out of sorts. They've obviously changed their side up a bit. I think the center pairing has been good. I think some of the forwards are still standing up really well each week. Uh, but I think the Reds are now back. Um, they've demonstrated how unified they are, how mentally strong they are. I don't think they'll relax that. They're looking to finish strong and, and recline the ladder, get get their rightful place up in the top two. Um, they're going to be hampered by, I believe, um, Hunter Paisami's done his MCL again, possibly. That was what was said in the game. It looked like he was he was going to be ruled out uh, for the rest of the competition. I haven't actually followed up on that. And since I watched the game on delay, it feels like fresh news, but perhaps it's already been said. Um, assuming that that will force them to bring... Patea back into 13 and they'll they'll slip someone else out onto the wing there. It might be Hegarty to fullback, might be uh, Jock Campbell coming to wing. Archie, do you know any better? I'm just giving you the update on Paisami's injury. Not as bad as first thought, but we'll be missing this game. Um, but he should be back before the end of the season for the Reds. Okay, so that's good news. It's all the same this week that they're going to make a change, but Patea looks strong, he looks fit. No doubt he will uh, get slotted in at 13 there, I would expect. Um, they've got enough outside backs. They can spin some guys in where they need to. They might even uh, give um, Fluke Josh was... Fluke another go yeah. um, in 13. He looks very similar to Hamish Stewart, both in the headgears there, but yeah. reasonably good in, on the defensive effort. And I think Patea looks looks pretty sharp on the wing. I think maybe they need to oh, give, he does. give a bit of time there, maybe not push him to do too much. There, he's still sort of playing sort of that 50 minutes around about that um, in a game, and they just sort of seem like they're easing him back into it. Yeah, and he has looked very good on the wing. I I think if they had a good outside centre option outside Hunter Paisami, they'd take it. Um, but I think there, there has been a lot of um, preamble on, on Patea working his way back into the centre. So I expect that that's what will happen. And I, I think in this game, I think the Reds will... Treat it like a home game, really. They're not that far from home. I think it's still going to be a fairly exciting game. I think the Reds will run away with it at the end. This is this could be a bloodbath, really, if the Reds hit their straps. Um, I agree. I think the force look tired. They've got a bunch of tough games to come as well. I mean, they're playing the Brumbies the following week in Canberra, and then they go to Melbourne to finish up against the Rebels. Not to Melbourne. I think the force are really... Oh, oh sorry. Not to Melbourne, to Sydney. Keep Probably like art, but yeah, we'll see. Um, look, Force are really playing for their fortunes for next year, I think. I, I'm not sure this season really matters much at all. It's just, you know, individual players in, trying to impress for for future contracts and also, you know, the Force trying to show that they're worthwhile keeping around for whatever iteration of the competition we see next year. So I don't expect them to lie down, but I think this Reds team is... Now, like you say, gelling really well. They've showed how well they can play defensively, and I expect them to score a lot of points in this one. If the if the Waratahs are beating the Force by 20, I'd say the Reds are going to do a similar thing here, maybe even more. Um, and Patea, look how, how important is he, whether he's at 13 or on the wing. It's looking pretty nice for the Wallabies, having a right-wing option there in combination with Corabidi. I think he's really important for the Wallabies overall. He backs up or starts, say, to TK. They're the two 13s, I think, that would be the best options for the Wallabies. And he offers a, a really dynamic threat um, on the wing as well. So Reds 
hard to go past him here. I don't think he can. If if you're gonna, you know, pick, it's more about the margin. I think that you need to pick rather than who's gonna win the game. Mm. Earlier, uh, a couple of episodes ago, we were touting John Lance as a potential Wallabies bolter. Do you, Toby? You're probably the most pro him. Do you feel still feel that way, um, or has your decision changed with the emergence of, say, Will Harrison and Jock and those players sort of stepping up even more? Yeah, it's tough. I think Jono, look, I think he's playing with confidence. I think he's trying to do a lot in a back line that I think the centres are supporting him well, but overall I think he's trying to create things maybe sometimes that aren't there. He's he's throwing some of the hardest passes I've seen him ever throw. He's just really firing bullets everywhere across the field and sometimes those risks don't pay off you get intercepted Um, I think he's playing a high risk high reward game and maybe that's a little out of frustration at times Um, but definitely I think he's come off the ball in the last week or two and I think that might hurt him come selection time I think he'd almost have to be immaculate in his performances for the force to actually be considered as a real prospect at 10 for the Wallabies um, which is a shame because I think he's got he's got the skills, he's got the potential. Um, but I, I get the sense maybe he's falling a little out of favour. He's he's probably falling away a little bit, but we don't know how much of this is, you know, under instruction. Like the force have nothing to lose, like we've just said. Um, might as well try and try and, you know, just overrun teams with some wild attacking flair and while they may not have the assets they need to really pull that off. I think if Jono's following instruction, like surely Rennie will talk to the coaches and, and talk to play it, talk to them about players. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Jono still deserves to be in the squad where we've got some young tens, like consider Tamua not a 10, hopefully. In Rennie's mind, that's right. James O'Connor, I think, is now to be considered a 10, although he obviously has some utility. If uh, if you don't really have um, Noel Alessio around, if he's still under injury, Will Harrison will probably get picked because he is your next gen. You need to start blooding those guys and keep them in the group. Hopefully there's room for Jono. Very good as well. Yeah, he, do, he does look be better behind a better pack, which is what we said. If he was in the Brumbies set up like Lalesio, he'd probably be looking as good as Lalesio. Um, maybe better. Yeah. But maybe better. So, look, you've got options there. There's not really... You're not going to pick Andrew Deegan. I think Jono is the guy who brings a bit of experience and maturity into that squad. Imagine him and O'Connor... You know, sharing ideas and and mentoring the next generation. I think that's a good balance. I don't think Tamua is that guy. Um, maybe he's more consideration for the centres. Again, we know our own opinions. We don't really want to see him at twelve, but we think he should be considered there. Mm-hmm. I get the sense at the moment it's Jock at ten, Tamua at twelve for the Wallabies. Um, God, I hope not. I think that's the way it's looking. And who you pick at nine? I think we've got some good options, and then the back three. And 13, I think we're pretty solid as well. But crucial in those inside backs, I think mm. the right decisions need to be made. Let's just hope Simone doesn't drop off. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it definitely seems like the Western Force have been told they're, they're going to go hard or go home. And the going home option apparently has been taken away anyway. So they've only got really one option here. And that's go hard at the Reds. Um, on Saturday night, we have the Brumbies hosting the Waratahs. And obviously the Waratahs with the longest active win streak in Super Rugby AU currently at two, uh, travel down to Canberra. And, I mean, this is obviously a time when 
they've struggled to get any sort of success down there at GIO Stadium, but I don't think there's any better opportunity. The Brumbies having had a loss, they've had a week off, um, and maybe not quite coming into this game with the same momentum as the Tars that have been able to put together a couple of great performances. Yeah, I guess they, they've got the opportunity to to have consolidated for a week, to have seen what the Waratahs are bringing, um, seeing the Waratahs shock the Reds and, and absolutely just destroy them on the field. The The opportunity for the Brumbies is to, to just pin the Waratahs down, make sure that they don't get out of hand early, uh, play their normal strong forwards game. That's probably the bigger contest for me is now that the Waratahs forwards are finding ways to step up in lineouts, finding ways to step up in general play, um, you know, definitely bringing physicality. If the Brumbies can stifle that, I think it just goes back to being the Waratahs struggling to develop a platform for their backs, makes them a lot less dangerous. And the Brumbies we know have, have talent through the back line. So, um, I think it's definitely a forwards-focused game. The Brumbies need to suffocate the Waratahs, and I think they can have them here at home. The Waratahs' luck will run out. I, I, I just don't think that forward pack's seasoned and mature enough as a group to to stick too many games together. They, they've probably had a really good run, I think, at NCA. I think you're going to see a similar bounce back to what the Reds had this, this last week. I think the Brumbies losing to the Rebels... Would have been very disappointed with that. They were very flattered in that game. Um, and the Tars have only beaten the Brumbies twice out of the last 10 meetings overall in Super Rugby. So there's, there's a fair bit of history there on the Brumbies' side. They've had the dominance since 2015. So I would be taking the Brumbies here. I, I think it's going to be a bit of a scrap. I'm actually pretty excited to see some key matchups here particularly the back rows of the two teams mm. and also the back three, I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be taking the Brumbies, I think pretty comfortably. Just hope the Waratahs can really bring that form into this game. And then we should see another cracker. Yeah. Well, you talk about sort of wallaby selections on the line here. You think about people like Jack Dempsey going up against Pete Samu Valentini, um, who'd be in, be in direct competition with um, Jake Gordon going up against Joey Powell. Like if he can outshow outshine Joe Powell, it really opens up um, his options after having two strong weeks. You have Maddox versus Banks at 15, and then the sort of bolters for the squad, and people like, we talked about James Ram, and we were very high on Tom Wright earlier in the year, they're going to be going up against each other as well, so some really nice matchups to see in this, and to see um, who can sort of get that mental edge early and convert it into a bit of momentum for their team to, to get that one break and get that sort of early points or early try that might just change the momentum in this one. Tom Wright used his weekend off well and uh, re-signed to 2021 as well, which is another good sign. He'd be sticking in rugby union, sticking with the Brumbies. He's, How long has he signed for? He's re-signed. I think he just said 2021. Maybe another year. He's a pretty um, clever operator, Tom Wright. I think he's weighing up his options with perhaps international selection, because once you wake, make your way into that world we set up, that's when you start to make good pay. Yeah, 2021. Um, that's not necessarily showing much of a commitment, but I think he's he's probably dipping his toe in the water and saying, well, if I, if I pick up the Wallabies this year, um, you know, I'll give it next year as well. Um, and then if, if things don't happen, maybe he's going to look overseas or, or perhaps back to league. So I think 
it's important that he gets selected and recognised for the way he's been playing. As as we've talked about, I think the right wing is still up for grabs for the Wallabies, particularly if Pate is playing 13. So I think Tom Wright, let's see some more tries from him. And, you know, I think he's a great asset and I hope he stays in, in union for the long term. Tom Wright owns the right wing. It's his. That's right. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, that was all right. Probably wasn't quite up to the standard of my right jokes um, earlier in the in this podcast, but we'll forgive you because you are a father, so you're allowed a one dad joke an episode. We'll probably leave it there, boys. Um, as you said, just the two games to follow this weekend, and then we've got another week before we get to look forward to that North versus South clash uh, for the New Zealand um, possible probables for the All Blacks, which we'll delve into a little bit more next week, but. Uh, a lot of great things to talk about. Make sure you are catching up with all the latest news on our social media accounts at Running Rugby Podcast on Instagram and at Running Rugby Pod on Twitter, as well as make sure you have subscribed wherever you listen to your podcast and chuck us a five-star review. Thanks for listening again. Make sure you guys are all staying safe out there. Um, make sure to continue to wash your hands, be COVID safe, and remember, keep on running. Run.